2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the second week that we've been examining the vices of the devil. And we looked at the device of uh, pride last week. And we learned that God hates pride in a shape, form, or fashion in his people. And tonight we're going to look at another device the devil uses. And when we use this verse to spring off of, and, and we'll go throughout the scriptures and looking at it, I like uh, using the uh, uh, device of the devils, going through the scriptures and showing you, instead of you just me telling you, that way you can see it for yourself. But verse 11 of Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2 says, Lest Satan should get a advantage, a stronghold, told hold on you, Advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. We just ask you to be with each one tonight. Lift us up courage, Lord. For those not here, for whatever reason, Father, we just pray you touch them. Be with them, Lord. Help those that need to be touched. Uh, touch the ones that are sick and heal the ones that are sick, Lord. But please, Lord, we ask you to save those that are lost. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. The Bible is very plain that there is, there is a God and, and there is a devil. No, no, make no mistake about that. And, he's get, and that's what he wants you to get tonight. And Paul said that we should not be ignorant of his devices. The devil's always looking to get the upper hand in our life. He's up looking to get an advantage, a leverage, a high ground in your life tonight to destroy you. In Genesis chapter 3, uh, it's the first time in the Bible that uh, Satan showed up to confront mankind. He shows up as a serpent. He shows up as a snake. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, the Bible tells us. And you know something about snakes? I can't stand them. I hate them. I cannot stand a snake. I don't care whether it's a live snake, dead snake, rubber snake, plastic snake. There's no such thing thing is a good snake amen i i, I, I can't say i can't stand them that that's your adversary the devil i i, I saw a show on snakes that uh, uh, they have no eyelids in fact they do not blink at all and, and you know when they when they at rest and they're at sleep when they're at rest time their eyes are still open so when anything passes in front of them it, they know it they're not asleep. That, that's your adversary. 24-7, yeah, he, he's constantly looking at you. Uh, he, he doesn't sleep. Uh, he knows everything about you. He knows where he's at. And he's always looking to get a foothold in your life to destroy you. He knows your shortcomings. He knows where you're weak at. And he knows the weakest point in your armor today. And that's what he's looking for. That's where he's wanting to get a hold of yet. Remember Job, uh, uh, the Lord said, Has thou not considered my servant Job? The devil said, I, I have been watching him. He, he knew about Job. He knew what Job was. He knew, he knew how Job was. He says, he's a righteous man who shrew evil. And he said, yeah, the only reason why he's serving you, the only reason why he's doing that is because uh, you've got a hedge around him. You take that hedge off around him, and I bet you, and I guarantee you, he'll curse you. Well, the devil got fooled, didn't he? God knew Job. 
And let me, let me ask you this. Does the devil know you? Does the devil know you? The device I want to look at tonight, you don't find many preachers preaching on it. It's not the greatest subject to preach on. And the reason why, because we foster this sin. We foster this sin. We pamper this sin. We pet this sin. We've even seen it fostered in others, sometimes knowingly and sometimes unknowingly. The vice that I'm talking about is the uh, dealing with the night and looking at the night. And we'll get to highlight it throughout the course of the Bible. The devil uses this device of self-pity. Self-pity. Let me say, we realize this is an ungodly device. Because the first word in it is self. Self-pity. It, it magnifies you. It glorifies you. It lifts up you tonight. And even maybe a shadow of pride in that self-pity. It's, also, it's, just, it's self tonight. It's all about self. Self-pity says things like this. I'm not getting what I deserve. You've heard people say that. I'm not getting what I deserve. I, I've heard people say, I deserve better than this. I can go home and eat a meal and, and get a good meal and, and take a nap at home and, uh, and, and come back to church and have church service. That's better than I deserve. Because to be honest with you, we all deserve hell tonight. We've got it better than we deserve tonight. I've been treated bad. I shouldn't be treated like this. Self-pity would say, well, nobody asked me about it. Nobody asked me how I felt about it. Here's self-pity. Well, I am always left out. You ever heard people say, that? I, they always leave me out. Nobody ever includes me. It, it sounds like some uh, elementary school when they're playing kickball. I didn't get picked. I'm, I'm not, nobody wants to pick me on their team. I understand why a lot of some people don't get picked. Nobody wants me. Nobody cares about me. Looking at self-pity tonight. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Self-pity is a real deceptive device. The other devices the devil uses are easier to pinpoint. They're easier to see. They, 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 you can see the other devices that you can get and just top it off at the head. Self-pity, because we all sit in this place of self-pity from time to time. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse number 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to God have dealt to every man the measure of faith. You say, well, preacher, that's talking about pride. No, that's talking about self-pity. Because every time you start having self-pity party, everybody you, uh, has one of those sad sack parties. 
You know what you're losing when you have those? You're, you're thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. You need to be careful, especially parents, how you foster uh, this in your child. Because we deal, uh, because we will allow them to uh, pour out. You know what they're pouring out? That self-pity. The idea that child didn't get what he deserved. I didn't get it my way. And when they don't get it their way, the rest of the day they sit around with their lip pooched out and, and their arms crossed and they don't want to deal with anybody, don't want to talk with anybody. You ought to be careful how you, how you foster that in your children today. Because it's a form of self-pity. And you know those children <laughs> that doesn't have the that corrected in them, they turn out to into whiny children, whiny adults that don't have their way and do the exact same thing. Self-pity will cause you to shut down. Give up. You can see it in a lot of people today that plays sports and it, 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 it doesn't go good for them. It's going bad for them. They're having a bad day. They're not on key with it. And they get frustrated. They quit. They sit down. They were never told that self-pity was not going to work. Be careful about this thing of self-pity in your family life, in your life, because it's a dangerous device of the devil. Self-pity will rob you of your joy. You know what the Bible said about joy? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. The Bible said in Proverbs, A merry heart doeth good like medicine, but a broken spirit drives up the bones. Amen. There's something about a healthy, and, and, and healthy spirit and a good spirit. There's nothing healthy about being downtrodden all the time sitting around with your lips poked out whining why me why did I get treated like this nobody cares about me nobody loves me there's something different about somebody that has a good spirit and a good heart than those who are sitting around in self-pity so self-pity is a device that the devil uses and every one of us have set in self-pity Amen. I, I just got out of it. I just came out of a good dose of self-pity. Why, why me? What, what in the world did I do to deserve this? Devil. The devil. He's after me. He wants you. So what I want to look at some guys and uh, men of the Bible and how they live their life, and see if we imitate them. See if we're just like, first, turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. I understand tonight's not going to be a lot of ho amens. I understand there's not going to be a lot of people jump up and run the pews. I understand that. But I want you to let you to, this to sink into your mind. Self-pity will rob you of your joy tonight. 
If you sit around and whine and cry and complain about everything that's going on, you'll have no joy in your life. First character we want to look at tonight got his joy robbed. Because he had just had too much self-pity in his life. Didn't get what he thought he deserved. Didn't get what he thought he should have. It just recluse and locks down. First Kings chapter 21, verse number 1. And it came to pass these, these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the place of Ahab king the summer, in Samaria. It was close to it, close by. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me that vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give it thee for it, for it a better vineyard than it, or if it seems good to, to thee, I will give thee the money worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it, it me that I should give the inheritance of my father unto thee. And Ahab came in his house heavy. Now watch this. Now, this is the king of the Watch what he does. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the words which Naboth the Jezreelite has spoken to him. For he said, I will not give the inheritance of my father. And he laid down upon his bed, turned his back, turned his face, and would not eat. Ain't that just somebody whining? Throwing a self-pity party. But it ain't over. Verse 5, But Jezebel, his wife, came in to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad, thou, that thou eatest no bread? You got a picture of this. Naboth done went to uh, Ahab went to Naboth says, uh, "Give me that vineyard. Uh, I'm the king. I'll give you a better one or money worth." And Naboth said, "God forbid if I give the inheritance of my fathers to you." It didn't sit well with him, didn't sit good with him. He went home, uh, he went in his house and went into bed and turned his back to everybody and would not eat. And his wife comes and says, "What's the problem, baby? What's wrong with you, sugar darling?" I see this in my mind. I look at it. He said, because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreel. He said unto me, him, give me that vineyard for money or else it would please him that I, I will give him another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Get over it. My goodness. I'm looking at the king. And the Bible said he had better vineyards. Uh, he had more. He had money. He had everything he wanted. But here is one plot, one piece of land that he looked at. He desired at it. And because he wanted that so much, doesn't matter what else he has. All he can do is focus in on this one thing. Because of what somebody said and because... He didn't get his way. Now it has robbed him of his joy. He doesn't have any joy in his life. Listen to me. If you want to know one way to keep your joy and not go into a pity party, look around at others. You take a look, look around at others. You may think you have it rough, but I'm telling you, there are people around you that have got it rougher. 
And I ain't saying you ain't got it rough. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I'm dealing with. Hey, I know that. You're right. And I'm sure some of you have legitimate things that you're tough, that you're going through. But what helps me, when I get in that place, I start looking around at others. And I start looking at their situation. And there's some people in this world that sure enough got some sure enough problems. And I look and compare them to mine, they don't weigh. I, I don't have the right to get in a pity party when somebody else is worse off than I am and they're laughing and joy are coming out of their mouth. I, I ain't got the right to sit around, I didn't get what I want. Amen. Has anybody ever heard Joni Erickson Tata? Anybody heard her? In 1967, she had a diving accident. She dove into the water, and she didn't know how deep it was, and she was paralyzed from shoulder to down. She came out and realized that she was no longer going to be able to walk, no longer do anything else, and she got mad at God. She got mad at God. And, and she started questioning God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why, why did this have to happen to me? But now she gives the testimony and how she was bitter and full of self-pity. And it shocked her when she faced God for what was going on. And she shook her fist at God. Then God took the trail, the trial that she was in and turned it into a blessing. Today, she's an international known mouthpiece painter. She paints with her mouth. She's a radio personality. She, she speaks on radio. She speaks in, in front of uh, people. She hosts it. She's an author. She's an advocate for disability, people with problems in this world. She cannot move anything. In fact, I watched one video of her. She was giving a lecture, and she's able to move her hands. She says, I cannot clap my hands, and I love to clap my hands for these people here, but I can't because they just don't work. But what she's saying is that I, I could have walled up into a self-pity party. I could have just gave up. I could have turned my back on God. I could have walked away from God. I could have been in a wheelchair. I could not have been a blessing. I would have been nothing. But God got a hold of me. God turned me around and realized, hey, there are people worse off than I am. And then God started blessing her. She became a painter. She became an author. She became a radio personality. And now she's living a life that God wants her to live in the condition that God got her into. Self-pity is going to rob you of your joy tonight. Here Ahab learned that it robbed him of his joy. There was so much other stuff that he had. He could have had the joy, but he focused on this one thing that he desired the most. You know what? That's, that's a lot of us. We've got all this and that, but there's one thing that we really desire that we really don't need, but it takes over our hearts, it takes over our minds, it takes over our thoughts that I got to, I got to, I got to, and it doesn't matter what you've got. 
That's your focus. And when you can't get it or achieve it, <laughs> you see them when they come into church and look on their faces. Get over it. Get over it. Be happy with God what he's gave you already. Amen. Ahab had it all. But he lost his joy. Look at, look at uh, Esther chapter 5. Turn to Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5. Let's look at another guy that we want to see if we look like. Haman gets it in his heart that he wants to do Mordecai in. Wants to just, just to eliminate Mordecai. And I'm talking about it, it, it robs you of your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength, and merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But if you ain't careful, it can get to the place of self-pity where you miss the good things of God. You miss the good things of God. Look at verse number 9. Then when Haman forth that day joyful and with glad heart, but when Haman saw Mordecai, now look, this guy is joyful, got a glad heart. I mean, he's probably one of the guys you see he's smiling, got it on his face. Hey, he looked good. Hey, brother, how you doing? You're doing all right. I'm doing good. Doing good. But when he sees Mordecai, when he sees Mordecai in the king's gate, Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate that he stood not up nor moved for him. He was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and, and when he came home, he, he came, uh, came home, he sent and called for his friends and Zesperus, his wife, and Haman told them of all the glory. Now listen, to, I want you to listen to this. Haman's getting ready to tell everybody what's going on in his life. And let me tell you what, you ought to envy this guy. He's telling the glory of his riches, the multitude of his children, and all the things where the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the princes and the servants of the kings. He'd been set above everybody. Haman said, moreover, yet Esther the queen did not let no man come in with the king until the banquet that she had prepared but myself. Nobody else could go in and sit with the king but me. And tomorrow I am invited unto her also with the king. Do you see that his joy, he has joy. He's, he's, he's got a glad heart. He, everything's going for him. Yet all this availeth me nothing so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You see what's going on here. He's focusing on this one insignificant person that could not hurt him if he wanted to. And he begins to feel sorry for himself over something that's so insignificant. You know you will help you? You want to get some help in your self-pity? Look around all the good things God has already done giving you. And God has already given you. God has already placed in your life. 
Here Haman said, I've got this. I've got this. I've got that. I've got it going on. I've got the money. I've got the prestige. I've got the status. I've got everything. But it means nothing to me because I see Mordecai. I see Mordecai. Now he has self-pity for himself. You know what you ought to do? You ought to just look around and say, God, I think that I have a good church. I thank you, Lord, that we got good people that cares about us. Thank you, God, for when I have a burden, when I, when I have the need, I can come to my brother and my sisters and tell them they'll pray for me. They're not going to pity me, but they're going to pray for me. They will actually carry my burden for me. They love me. There's a difference tonight between having a pity party and actually bearing each other's burdens tonight. So fulfill the law of Christ. There's a difference in the place where, oh, God bless you and bless your heart and I will pray for you and I got a burden for you. I think some Christians want the first rather than the last. They, they, they want people to just bless their hearts. If you're not careful, it'll rob you of your joy. It'll lose your song, lose your shout because you get focused in on the wrong stuff. Haman got focused in the wrong stuff. He had everything for him. He was going great. He had everything that was going for him that he needed, but he focused in the wrong faith. The, devil, the devil's advice would not only rob you of joy, but it would, uh, it would, it's, rooted, it's not rooted in reality. Most times when you see self-pity, it's not in reality. We normally make this stuff up in our mind. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. This is my favorite guy. My favorite guy. Talk about a great man. Here's one of the greatest men in the Bible. As a matter of fact, when John the Baptist shows up, they mistake John the Baptist for him. And God is not finished with him yet, and I'll tell you that now, guys. Yet he prayed, and then he prayed, it stopped raining for three and a half years. This guy called down fire from heaven and wiped out the uh, prophets of Baal. This is a great guy. And this guy takes a personal ride in a flaming chariot to heaven. And this guy gets into a spot where he's got self-pity going all over him. And it's not rooted in reality. It isn't enough. One chapter before, he's standing on top of the mountain saying, God, send the fire. And God sends the fire. God give him the victory over those false prophets. And here one chapter later, it's not enough. He's just killing me. He's begging God, kill me. Get rid of me. You know something? Self-pity. You could be on the mountaintop one day, and the very next day, you can go from the best day of your life to the worst day of your life. And you see how fast we go from one extreme to another extreme in life. Be careful how you let your emotions 
run crazy with you. He walks off by himself. Normally misery loves company, but he's by himself. He's, he's nowhere around anybody. I want to tell you something. You better be careful how long you allow self-pity to run around in your mind. Because the end results of self-pity is when you wind up in verse number 4. You get alone, start thinking about dying. Be careful that you don't get by yourself. You don't get around preaching. You don't get around godly singing. You don't, you don't get around the people that love you. You find yourself alone and wanting it all to end. By the time himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under the juniper tree and requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. It is enough. He, he's tired. He's done been through it. He just came off the greatest victory you could ever get in the Bible. And here now he's running from his life from a woman. This is God's man. He faced 450 false prophets of Baal. This is God's man. He prayed a 47-word prayer and fire framed the heaven. He was God's man. He was on top of the mountain. But now he's running and he's finding a place. Lord, it's enough. Take away my life for I am not better than any of my fathers. And as he laid and slept under the juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Look what verse 10 he says. He must have rehearsed this one. Verse 10 he said, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, listen to it, self-pity, I, even I, am left. And they seek my life to take it away from me. He, he loved that so much he said it again down in verse number. <laughs> he, he said it again in verse number 14. And he said, I have been very zealous of the Lord of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I, am only left. And they seek my life to take it away. That sounds good, but there's a problem with this pity party. It's not rooted in reality. He said, I am the only one left. Nobody cares about old Elijah. It's just me. I'm the only one serving God. I've been on the mountaintop with God, and now I'm down in the valley. I'm telling you, it's just me. I'm by myself. You ever thought you were against the world by yourself? You ever thought, hey, has nobody loves me? I'm the only one. Let me tell you what. God said, no. Look at verse number 18. Watch what the Lord tells him. Hey, Elijah, a news update. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, and all the knees which have not bowed and bailed, and every mouth which have not kissed him. You're not alone, Elijah. I know that you think you are. You think you got it worse than everybody else. You think you're the only one in the shape, this shape. But you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Look around. A pity party will get you rooted into something that's not reality. A pity party will get you into a place thinking that nobody cares. When you start saying that kind of stuff, that is the devil. 
It is the devil that convinces people that nobody cares about me. It's a lie. God cares about you. Jesus cares about you. God's people cares about you. The church cares about you. Don't let the devil come and say, hey, I'm up by myself. Everybody's against me. I'm by myself. Nobody loves me. God loves you. Can I say this? Self-pity is a rampant in the social media in our country today. They never post anything about the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, or anything that's hopeful or joyful. It's all negative, gloom and doom stuff. And the only reason they post that stuff is so that people can post in the comments, oh, bless your soul. Oh, oh, bless your heart. You've got it so bad. Nobody cares about you. Let's just all get in that self-pity boat together and roll down the stream. Man. And, I, and I, what I'm talking about, these are Christians that are posting this stuff. Posting this stuff. Gloom and doom. I, I knew this wasn't going over good. But it's got to be said, it is the device of the devil. And we need to be careful how we let him grab this thing in our life and hold it over our heads. It will rob you of your joy. It's not rooted in reality. If you want some victory on this thing, you need to recognize and realize your standing. And what do you mean by that? Well, you need to realize who you are in the Lord. And that will help you get over this thing of self-pity. Look at Acts chapter 26. You get your Bible reading in tonight, didn't you? Amen. Acts chapter 26. We find the apostle Paul. Paul, he goes through one trial after another. I wish I could land where Paul does, but I don't. I wish I could say Say it was, if somebody had beaten me, locked me up, put me in prison, put me in a dungeon, I wish I could say at midnight I would be singing and praising God. I would say His mercy would endure forever and ever and ever. I doubt that I would be doing that. And I seriously doubt any one of y'all would be doing the exact same thing. I'm not where Paul's at. If somebody had beaten me and thrown me in a jail and, and bruised and battered me and I'm hungry and I'm thirsty, I would be like Jeremiah. Lord, I've been doing what you want me to do. I can't believe you allowed this to happen. I've been preaching your word and now look where I'm at, Lord. I'd be like Jeremiah. I ain't going to say another word about you. You put me here. We'd, we'd be like Jeremiah. But that's not Paul. Paul gets the most heinous injustice done to him. He gets beaten, thrown in prison for preaching. Not being a criminal, just being preaching because he's doing something right. And at midnight, the darkest hour of his life, he starts singing. He starts singing. He starts praising God. Praising the Lord. It doesn't sound like self-pity to me, does it? Don't sound like self-pity. Don't sound like somebody's whining and crying. Whoa, whoa, is me. Gloom and doom. And, uh, it don't sound like that. He ain't letting the devil get the victory in his life. 
In Acts 25, we, we find King Agrippa comes down with the great, the uh, Bible says, great pomp, and the Bible said, that the crowd around him, the array, the princes and princes, everybody gathered around. King Agrippa, they're coming, it's just told. There's a great show bringing in the king there. He, he's sitting in the center of, of this theater, and, then, and everybody, hey, King Agrippa, and, and then, oh, lowly, insignificant, Jew Paul is brought in. He's got scars all over his body. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. Has chains on his arms like this is the man you need to fear. Oh, Paul. Can't hardly see. Oh, Paul. And I love what Paul. Paul says, I, I can't believe this has happened to me. Oh, I, I can't believe I'm going through this. This is not fair. That's not what Paul says. Paul says in verse 1, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. Can you imagine the devil standing over the corner somewhere in the darkness over there and he says, hey, I, I've got Paul. Here is one of God's chosen men. I, I, I've got him. I put him through this. He's gone through the ringers. Uh, he's in prison. He's been beaten. He's got scars. Uh, he's thirsty. He's hungry. And I just know right now he's just going to say, hey, hey, God ain't been good to me. God ain't been fair to me. I was preaching the word of God and look where I'm at now. I bet the devil said over and said, hey, I've got him. And he said all of a sudden, he says, I think myself happy. I think myself happy. I'm not where Paul's at. I get into situations, I go into that self-pity mode. Paul goes in, I think myself happy mode. Paul says, hey, you ain't got to live like that. You can't be like that. This is somebody that realized my hope is not in the world. My life is not in the world. My joy is not in the world. My joy, my hope, and my peace is in another world tonight. You know what self-pity does? It gives your, gets your eyes off of what's important and on what is not important in life. Don't turn there, but 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul rehearses all that he's gone through. The stonings, the stripes, shipwrecks, the beatings, the pearls of robbers, pearls of waters. And one time I know that you find that Paul is not complaining or griping or whining. Why has this happened to me? I, I'm talking about he's, he's living on another plane that I have not achieved. I've not obtained, but I'm trying to. So how, how do you combat self-pity? I love that God gives you the, the problem and God also gives you solutions. You just got to find them. And if we go through self-pity, we know we're going through self-pity. We know everybody, every one of us, as soon as we hit something, we're going to start thinking, oh, woe is me. Verse away back. Philippians chapter 4. Tammy's favorite, 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 favorite. Will help you to drive that stuff away out of your mind. Can I remind you, Paul's in prison when he writes these books. He's shackled. He's not a free man. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your communication be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, giving your requests, be made unknown to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, brother, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. Control what you think about. Don't let the devil put stuff into your mind that you feel like there's no hope, there's nobody cares, everybody's against me. Stop and get your mind into the correct place. Bible says that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind stayed upon thee because he trusted thee. Get your mind in the right spot. Battle feel for every Christian tonight, every one of us tonight. The battle for feel for us is right between our two ears. That's where we fight our greatest battles. And the only way to shut that down, the only way to get that out of your mind, the only way to get that out of your life to think on these things. Don't get where you get down and stay down all the time. That's not the will of God for your life. To be constantly defeated in the area of self-pity. God has given us and equipped us to have a victorious spiritual life. He's shown it throughout his words that you can have a victorious spiritual life. But you're going to go through some battles. Don't let the battles win when God has given you the perfect armor to stand against every one of them. Self-pity. We all fall into it. Especially when you're by yourself. Amen. You ever been sitting by yourself? I've been sitting by myself a lot of times going, Lord, why? I don't really think I deserve this. Then I get to thinking about somebody I know that's facing more heartaches than I'm facing. I said, Lord, let me pray for them. They need a prayer. Don't fall for the devices of the devil. We're going to be looking at them for a long time because there's plenty of them. We just need to be aware. It needs to be something in our repertoire that we can fight the devil against because we know he's coming at it. We know he's bringing it to us. And we say, hey, devil, I already know that device. I got it conquered. Amen.